Oh, I don't want to murder a bunny. Let's clarify that. Like, it's gonna melt anyways, so... Yeah, okay, but like, when one ear like starts flopping down or completely breaks off and then the other one is still pristine, like, it looks so deformed. <laughs> Hello, my little beans, and welcome to another episode of I've Been Thinking, a podcast where two besties talk about anything, everything, and how we attempt to start adulting. My name's Vilana, and with me is... Evan. And today, I have been thinking about... You know when you are a little kid and you wake up on Saturday morning just to watch, like, Saturday morning cartoons because you really want to watch the next episode of The Weekenders or Kim Possible? Well, as much as I love cartoons, we didn't do that because we went to school. Yeah, good old Viet school. Yeah. So, Evan and I went to Viet school every Saturday morning from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. So we missed Saturday morning cartoons. I was made fun of a lot in elementary school for missing the new episode of Kim Possible, but it's fine. Yeah, I feel like all the good shows are on Saturday. Speaking of Viet school, I'm pretty sure the age-old question on our podcast is, how did you two even meet? So, we met in Viet school. Do you remember how that went? Honestly, I do not. It's been forever. Honestly, I don't either. I, I don't remember how we met at all. Like, I don't think we actually started hanging out until about the fifth or sixth grade. Because in kindergarten, all the way up till then, I hung out with the teacher's kids. Yeah, that is true. So my mom was a teacher back in our Viet school on Saturdays. And since... A lot of the teachers had kids around the same age. We would all just gravitate towards each other. And we all just became best friends with, like, the teacher's kids. So I would always go to their house during the week, even on Sundays. And they would come over to mine all the time. And it was to the point where a lot of the kids, we asked each other's parents to be our godparents for confirmation. But Evan and I and our group of friends, I didn't start hanging out with you guys until about fifth or sixth grade but I know that you guys were already friends before that mm -hmm, yeah I had mutual friends who were also part of my like English school Monday to Friday school as well as Viet school so I hung out with like them and then I feel like you and I became friends probably like grade six or something because that's when I started actively like going to youth group stuff and like joining dances and like actually participating in church activities. <laughs> I remember that because I was best friends with the teacher's kids, but I was only close friends with the people who went to Sinhua on Sundays, so youth group kids. And then, as time would tell, we also became youth group leaders. Isn't that lovely? Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta continue the tradition. <laughs> I have two older brothers and they were also youth group leaders, so of course I had to be the next one. So speaking of youth group and dances and all that jazz, every single year, our Viet school would hold something called a celebration, I guess. Um, you can call it a performance at the end of each term. So the first term would end in about December. So we would have our December concert. No, that's a lie. Did we have a December concert at the school? I don't think so. I think it was one for New Year's in February, and then the second one was at the end of the school year. Yeah, yeah. So it was Lunar New Year's, and then it was, like, 
to commemorate the whole school year. Do you remember any of our Lunar New Year dances at the school? I remember our Lunar Lunar New Year dances were mostly our Christmas dances, but like modified version of it. Or alternatively, it can be a dance that's probably in Aoyai and Nongla that's made in three sessions, choreographed in three sessions. So it was like very, very rushed. No one knew the choreography and you're just like, go on stage and do it. And you're like, oh, okay. Because there's so little time to actually teach and learn the choreography between New Year's and Lunar New Year's time. Like the actual in-between dates that we get to practice. And then end of school year dance was usually something like like light and easy, I find. Because at that point, everyone's just given up. <laughs> and what's even crazier is before these performances, I guess, we would have exams. So exams would usually be about two weeks before the performances. The next Saturday, we would come into school, learn a dance, and then be expected to perform it the next week. Sometimes if the choreographer wasn't the homeroom teacher, we would schedule extra practices. I remember in grade seven, when our choreographer was not our teacher, she was another youth group leader. She would be come to my house on Wednesday and Friday, and we're gonna learn the entire dance. Yeah, I mean, some people were really passionate about it, like you and I included, where we'll be like, we want extra practices, we want to make sure our kids like actually know the dance, instead of like rushing to learn it in three sessions. But you could tell that the choreographers also just didn't care because they would ask us what moves we can do, and then they would just compile them up into about a 30-minute dance no not a 30 minute dance a 30 second dance and then we just repeat it but i feel like that's like the art of being a like slick choreographer you just you divide the work amongst the dance members so that you don't have to do any work when you have like 20 kids though it's 20 kids who are about 12 or 13 years old they don't know what they're doing and half the dances they have to be a traditional Viet dance and then we're dancing to Viet music and we're like I don't know what's going on but I can do this with a non-la a non-la is like the bamboo hat that you can find on the internet but yeah none of us would know what we did we were I can do this and they would be like oh you can do that let's put that in I remember at the end of your dances for grade eight because that's when they were graduating and they had the grad luncheon and stuff with the pretty dresses and stuff a lot of the time, the teachers would be, let's just do a fashion show. Oh my gosh, yeah, I remember that. It was so weird because I felt like no kid was comfortable doing a fashion show, but the teachers made them do it. So sometimes, like, the kids would walk up and you would just see, like, a face that's, I don't want to be here, like, I hate my life, I'm so uncomfortable, and they're, like, walking up and then walking back. And they gotta stand at the back of the stage and pose, and they look like they're just done. <laughs> it's so funny because you can't force a teenager. So we're about 13 at the time. You can't force a 13-year-old to smile if they really don't want to smile. It's not like they're six years old anymore. So if you do force them to smile, it's that fake smile that looks like they want to murder you. And it's the funniest thing in the world because a few days ago... I went through my Facebook and I found a few of our concert dances. We all look so dead to the world. We didn't want to smile at all. So we're all dancing and we're really, we're wearing really pretty eyes and dresses. 
and we all look like we want to murder someone. But I feel like it's your typical, like, school concerts. When you look back at videos and stuff, you're like, all the kids were... There's, there's kids that are, like, extremely happy, and they're like, hi, mom. And then on the opposite spectrum, there are kids that are like, they look like they're done. Yeah. I love that. I think it's hilarious. Speaking of performances and dances, we also did Christmas concerts every year. Yeah, it was our biggest event of the year. Because we would get a lot of practice for Christmas concerts. I think we would get about, like, starting maybe, like, end of September to, like, mid-December. Like, when the actual concert is. So that's quite a lot of time. So what would happen on these Christmas concerts is... There's a board of directors who would choose music for all the choreographers. The choreographers in this case are not teachers, but they are the youth group leaders. So for a period of time, Evan and I did choreograph these dances for all these kids. And we were given an age group. So kindergarten age, so three, four, five. They would get one youth group leader who was good with them. Grades one, two, and three were together. Grades four and five were together. Grades six, no, it was one, two, three. You know what? I know that grades seven and eight were together, and then grade nine was their own, and then grades 10 plus were grouped together. That's what I remember. I was in charge of the older kids. That's all I remember. Yeah, I feel like you and I took probably grade six and up, and then we had other youth leaders take like the smaller kids. They were really good with the smaller kids. We are not so much. I mean, like, little kids love me, but I get bored of them sometimes because there's only so much you can talk to with little kids. But when you're with older kids, especially, like, 12, 13, and when they're in that tween age and they're trying to figure everything out and they're doing dumb stuff, I'm there to enable their behavior. Yeah, you are. It's funny, okay? They do stupid shit all the time, and I'm just there watching on the sidelines with my bowl of popcorn being like, yes. Yes, this is the world I would like to live in. You're going to hit that person with a fan? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. I want to see if they fall or not. What a terrible example. (laughs) Okay, nobody got injured on my watch. I made sure everybody was safe, but I did a lot of stupid stuff, and I think it's very funny. So, I remember, what is the most memorable memorable dance you made for your kids? Memorable dance? I feel like I made so many dances that they're all like... You don't remember any? The one that I remember from you, though, is the one with the orange fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those were nice. I actually ordered those fans online, and they arrived in. They were super long, though, so we had to cut it short and then, like, hem the fabric. But for the first half of dance practice, we were just practicing with regular fans. So then the, when the fans arrived, they were like, whoa, what's going on? Like, everybody was all of a sudden doesn't know how to dance. But it's expected because you're just throwing like a new element in there. That that dance was rough because I like picked the song kind of last minute and then it got approved and then I was like, okay, choreography time. And then I just ended up rushing the choreography and like repeating the same verse for a verse one and verse two. It's okay. Every every slick choreography does that. They just repeat choreo. I don't, I don't think that's about being slick. I think it's just about how our church gets unqualified slash semi-qualified people to teach on such short notice that we don't have time to do anything. But to be quite fair, the audience doesn't even know that you're repeating choreography, so... 
Yeah, that's true. And like half the people in the audience are parents anyway. And all they're doing is recording their kid on stage and being like, oh my god, my child is so cute. Look at them. That's it. I have always wanted to teach the grade 10 plus group. But I was never allowed. Because apparently there would be another choreographer. She's actually great. I love her so much. But she always got them. And it made me very, very sad. And I'm I'm always like, what are you going to retire? You have three kids. I just want to get the big group with 16-year-olds and not 12-year-olds. Oh, but she's so good, though. Like, like we love her as a choreography when we were kids. And we still love her now when, like, both of us are choreographers, you know? We can never match her level. Like, it's just so good. You know, she still owes us soap. Yeah, that's true. We never got soap. Very sad about that. Yeah. So for context, uh, whenever we go to her house to practice dance, she would be like talking about how she's experimenting with handmade soaps. And she's like, oh, I'll give you all soaps at the end of the Christmas concert. But I don't think we actually ever got soap. We never got soap. I'm very, very sad. I mean, I guess we can reach out to her and be like... Hi, would you like to um, give us the recipe for your handmade soaps? No, but she makes them all pretty and stuff. I want pretty soap. Here's the thing. Do you ever use pretty soap? I remember I got a soap bar that looks like a cupcake one time. I got it like three years Mm -hmm. ago and I kept it in my room because I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't want to use it because it looks so pretty. But then it went bad. So then I had to throw it out. So... What is your opinion on pretty soap? I I don't think I've ever gotten pretty soap or bought pretty soap myself. Um, but there, there are some lying around the household and most of it isn't used. It's more of like decor, bathroom decor. That's my deal with pretty soap. Why buy something that you're not going to use? Why make it too pretty that people don't want to use it? I understand when soap kind of looks like an amethyst or a rock thing, I guess. Or when it's a bar with a really pretty engraving on it. I get that. But when it's so pretty, like it looks like a bunny or some type of object, you don't want to use it because then it becomes deformed. Okay, think about it. Just just think about this. You have a bar of soap in the shape of a bunny. If you start using it, the bunny is going to look horrible. It's going to look like you just murdered it. <laughs> I would feel so bad i don't want to murder a bunny oh i don't want to murder a bunny let's clarify that i think it's just whatever it's it's the same as like a pretty candle isn't it like it's gonna melt anyways so yeah okay but like when one ear like starts flopping down or completely breaks off and then the eye gets all concaved and then the other one is still pristine like it looks so deformed and I don't know, it looks scary. Yeah, but I think it's fun to see the process. Like, I think at that point you enjoyed its whole existence, you know? Like, from start to to finish. I feel like we're just two different people. (laughs) Don't, Don't you love, like... Okay, maybe it's just me. I love watching videos of, like, the process of things. Like, how things are made or, like, decomposed and stuff. So I feel like... Okay, see, I like seeing how things are made, but how things get demolished no i don't like that you don't like those videos the like destruction videos no okay like if we're talking about building constructions and it has like the wrecking ball that just 
breaks everything down. I like those ones because it's very satisfying to see everything come down at once. But when it's a slow process, like a bunny soap bar, I don't like that. Wow. Anyway, back to Christmas concerts. So when we were students during the Christmas concert, I remember one year where one of our choreographers was like, let's do a cha-cha dance. And... Oh, Lord. <laughs> I just remember that's when they implemented a no-touch policy. It was that year they implemented it. So we were partnered. Surprisingly, in our year, we always had an equal amount of females to males who were dancing, so we could pair each other up. However, my partner decided to dip on the last rehearsal day, which was the, the week before the concert. I remember this very clearly because the choreographer didn't make any changes to my part and I had to go on stage. And since I was the shortest one, I was front and center and I was also the only one that could actually remember the choreography. So I was up front and center without a partner, dancing alone and pretending I had a partner because I didn't change anything. But what was even funnier was all the other partners that were around me. It was hover hands the entire time because no one was allowed to touch each other. Yeah, we had a priest who was very strict on a physical touch between opposite sex. <laughs> but I feel like that made the dance even more awkward. It's funny when you think back on it. Oh my god, I should pull up the, I should pull up the DVD. I'm pretty sure I have it in my house. It's probably somewhere. We all have copies of DVDs from various years. I just don't know where. I should make a shrine. Christmas concert throughout the years. <laughs> I know. We were talking about getting together and like just just slamming those DVDs, just watching all of them and cringing about our like childhood. Yeah, but then the world decided to burn. But it's okay. Well, we'll get together when the world stops burning. To um, reminisce our Christmas concerts together. Our cringy Christmas concerts. Ah! However, one of our favorite dances were the ones when we were in grades 10 plus. Because the choreographer who still owes us soap is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, dance practices were tough because we had we practiced at her house, but most of the time it was either in her basement or in her garage. And this is in the middle of winter, like Canadian winter. So imagine dancing in a garage for like two hours. How long was dance practice? Two? Two hours. Two hours and usually on average negative five degree weather. Yeah. How did we survive? Once it hits the negatives here, we're talking about negative in celsius not in fahrenheit i think that would be too cold i don't know i don't know how to measure fahrenheit i don't get it i'm sorry but what was i talking about oh yeah cold uh, we were talking dance practice oh <laughs> what i know for myself now that once it hits freezing point zero degrees i don't want to go outside i refuse to go outside unless i have to yeah that's true especially with the pandemic i was like uh, zero degrees at the beginning i used to go on walks in the evening after work but now it's cold so i'll just get the mail and come back yep basically back to christmas concerts do you remember our very first dance with her the one with the double layered aoyai the red and black one yes that's iconic 
I love that one. It's so funny because this, the outfits that we wore for that dance, I remember about five to seven years later, the grade eights in the elementary school wore that outfit and tried to recreate our dance. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because they're so uncoordinated. Like, I'm not making fun of them. I thought it was adorable, but they were so uncoordinated. And then the moment they found out it was a two-layered aoyai, they were like, oh my God, how does this work? How did they make this? An aoyai can have two layers? Yeah, but I think it was also choreographed by like, like another random teacher, probably their like homeroom teacher or something that like knows zero to little dance knowledge. <laughs> so she was just like, uh, yeah, let's let's just do this. Just just go like this. But I also remember like when we saw the kids up there and we were like, we were that tiny. We fit into those aoyais. What? I would most likely still fit in at least one of those aoyais. Oh, I don't think I would fit. <laughs> I have a feeling I would still fit. I don't... You've definitely grown from grade 8. Here's the thing. I can still sort of fit in my confirmation aoyai. Oh, I... No, I don't know. It buttons up. Damn, girl. You really have not grown. I am a tiny human being. I'm only 5 foot 1 if you round up. Rounding up is very important in this case because I am 5 foot 1. What are you in centimeters? 155. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm tiny. And I still fit in my grade 8 grad dress from elementary school. I fit in my grade 8 confirmation aoyai. A lot of the clothes in my closet are clothes that I had since elementary school. And I'm talking about grade 6, 7. Oh my gosh. But don't you like purge your closet though? Yeah, okay, I purged my closet and I got rid of the really cringy ones when I went through my scene punk phase with all the all the suspenders and stuff like that. But the basics, like my black t-shirts or my purple shirts, like the plain ones, I kept those. And I've had them since the 7th and 8th grade. Yeah, I definitely don't fit clothes back in those days. Neither is that my style. Like, I definitely went through, like, an emo phase, too. <laughs> I think everyone did in elementary school. So little clothes are long gone. That's because MySpace was a thing, okay? We are old enough to know what MySpace is. Kids these days, they don't. But I never had a MySpace. No, I don't think I had a MySpace either. I don't know how it worked. Back to Viet school, because what is Viet school without all the oh, exams that we had to take? I remember dreading for them because like we also had school Monday to Friday, right? So most of the time we would be focusing on that. And then I think it only hit us maybe like Friday evening when we're like, oh my gosh, we have homework for Viet school. I didn't do it. So we're like rushing to finish it. And it's usually like we write like one <laughs> sentence per question. It just has to be done. And then like nobody has time to study for Viet school exams. So we're just like super stressed late up at night what is going on what do we have to memorize because all of it was memory and i feel like looking back the funniest thing is the teachers are like oh you mm -hmm. could just like rewrite the question and then you would get 50. it's funny how they assume that we understand the question to begin with yeah but i remember like you and i and other kids would be like so proud of like getting 90s like we were so asian that we we're like no we can't get 50s what do you mean 
we obviously had to study for this and get like 90s or 100. But looking back, I was like, why did I waste my time? I could have just rewrote it and got 50 and be like, peace out. It's so funny because I was purging my Facebook the other day and the lower I got on my Facebook, it was a bunch of posts being, does anybody remember what the Viet School homework is? Somebody messaged me what the Chinta is supposed to be this week. Chinta is just spe- is a spelling test. But it was just week after week for at least 20 posts. What was the Viet School homework? What are we being tested on? Does anybody remember the poem we had to memorize? Yeah, I think it's funny. Like you're looking back on Facebook uh, posts and you're like, why didn't I personally message other people about this? Why did I have to publicly put it on my Facebook wall? Hi, does anybody have the homework? Was Facebook messaging even a thing back then? I don't know. Good question. I don't know, because it was such a thing for people to post things on other people's walls. Yeah. Like, do you remember when post-to-post was a thing? You would have a conversation. It would be a public conversation. You would write on somebody else's wall. I guess now it's called a feed? No, I'm pretty sure it's still called a wall. Still a wall? Okay. So you would post on somebody's wall, and the other person would not reply on the post. They would reply by putting a post on the other person's wall. Yeah, I guess it's like the electronic version of passing sticky notes. I don't know. It's weird. Do you remember... How we had to memorize a bunch of poems in high school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we had a teacher who was very adamant in teaching us the Vietnamese language through reciting poems. And these poems were not like four sentences, four lines long. These were like a flippin' story. So we had one called Dream Q, and it was about a life of a girl. Like the hardship she goes through and her whole life story. And I I think Juinkyu is an actual book, no? Like a I'm pretty sure it's a book. Correct me if I'm wrong, people who actually did well in Viet school and actually know Juinkyu. Yeah. <laughs> but those of you who study Vietnamese literature, please let us know. Cause we only decided to learn this poem because we had to to pass an exam. Otherwise we would never have known what what it was. So from what I remember about Drinkyu is it's this girl, she lost her parents or something and she has an older sister and a younger brother. The older sister is so pretty, but she's too pretty that people don't want to talk to her. Like she's scary pretty. And her younger brother is too young to work or something. So Kyu, the main protagonist of the story, she had to work, but she couldn't find any work. She ended up doing other activities to gain money correct me if i'm wrong i could definitely be wrong because viet school was hard for me i honestly don't remember all i knew is she lived a life of poverty and hardship and then at the end she was like at peace or something anyways this whole bio of her is in like poem format right I don't think it rhymed or anything but it was definitely pretty lengthy and i think we were given maybe like two pages two pages we were at of literature that we had to remember and recite yeah the first 64 lines or something yeah yeah i so i guess about two pages so we would do them in sections so like i feel like each week we would add on like a couple of lines and then by the end of the term or the year we would have the full page 
or something like that. I don't remember any of it either, but I remember by the end of that term, we were wrapping it. Like Yeah, I remember that somebody would give a beat and then we would just wrap it and then Oh my god, that was so funny. Oh my do you also remember how half of the class just didn't bother memorizing it? So somebody on the other side of the room would mouth the words to them and they would say what was mouthed to them but since you can't mouth the accents or the inflections they would just make it up yeah 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 so you have the the classroom is basically divided by kids who sort of care and kids who don't care at all and the kids who sort of care actually memorized it and by the end we're just like spitting <laughs> spitting viet literature at you like do you do we have <laughs> any idea what it means no but we can recite it to you don't worry and the other half they don't care they like they're like yeah i'm just present like mark my attendance in this course please thank you <laughs> uh, and then i remember one time where like one of the kids would have the paper stuck to his back and then the kid sitting behind him would like look at the paper and basically read it. But I don't think he could read properly in Viet, so it was like butchered Vietnamese reading. But then he had to read it pretending like he's reciting it. So everyone else surrounding him was just watching, watching this disaster play out. And the teacher doesn't even care. He, he was just there marking like, like confused face but okay <laughs> like i guess you're trying so i'll give you something we all thought we were so slick in viet school but the teachers could see through us so quickly it's so funny because we thought we'd play them so badly yeah yeah we thought we were so good we're like ha 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 like look at us being tricksters no we were pieces of trash we were not smart we were not smart kids do you remember every jinta we did in elementary school, we had that one person, the one really smart person, because our jinta was always a poem or a prayer or something. It was never just words. So like cow, ganba, or any any of that, any of the simple terms. That all ended in kindergarten. Starting grade one, you would have to do your spelling test on a story or something. Yeah, we always had that one smart kid in the class who would write out the entire story on a separate sheet of paper when the teacher wasn't looking, copy that down into their notebook, and then pass the separate sheet of paper around for the rest of the class. And also the fact that like we didn't have enough desks for the students, so then we had to like share a desk. So then we would just be sitting on like, like me and you on a desk and we'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> Is it T-R or C-H? Yeah, exactly. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. You take one, I'll take the other, and let's hope for the best. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's my beef with Jinta tests in Viet school. Depending on which region the teacher is from, you don't know if it's a Yohoi or a Yongya or if it's a T-R or a C-H. Yeah, it was so bad for me because I'm from the Southern, so I feel like we pronounce things very differently. And... There are teachers from like the center or uh, northern Vietnam and they pronounce things so differently and I was having such a difficult time because I was like, what the hell are you saying? Like, So my family is from the north and I don't even understand what they're saying half the time but it's fine. No, I'm kidding. I do understand what they're saying but whenever, especially if you're from central Vietnam, I am so sorry 
but I have no idea what you're talking about. If we ever have a conversation, you need to give me 10 minutes to think of a response because you say something, it goes through my brain. I need to translate it into English and then think of a response, say it in English in my brain, translate it to Viet, and hopefully it comes yeah. out of my mouth okay. I mean, for listeners, so in Vietnam, there's different dialects depending on what region you're from. So it's it's all Vietnamese, but it's just different dialects. So they would have a different way of saying things or like certain terms wouldn't match up. So that's why it's different, difficult for us because if we're from different regions, the vocab wouldn't be the same. I don't think there's a Western example of this, though. I guess it's kind of how Ontarians speak different from people from Newfoundland. Like, you can hear there's a slight... I wouldn't say an accent change, but there there's a slight difference in the way that you speak. Yeah, but it's not... I don't think it's slang. I think it's just a different dialect. You know what I mean? Yeah. English is just slang. Like, if you if you were to go, compare, like, different states in the U.S., it's just... It's just you have like a you have a Californian accent or whatever or like you're from the East Coast versus you're from the West Coast. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. And then the way you say your words in Vietnam, depending on which region you're from, is also completely different. And sometimes I don't understand the words, which is why spelling tests were always the worst. They were terrible for me. Absolutely terrible because I would pronounce it in one way, but I'll be, be like the way I pronounce it isn't the way I'm supposed to write it. It's like a different way. Do you think after all of those spelling tests, we did 14 years worth of spelling tests in Viet school. Is your spelling good now? My spelling is absolutely horrible. Like I, <laughs> I, I text my parents and, uh, and relatives and enemies, but I don't use any accents. So my knowledge of accents on words is completely out the door. How is your reading in Viet? My my reading is very, very good. I can read. Yeah? Yeah, my reading is still amazing. So That's good. In elementary school to high school, I was one of the readers for a church. So I would do the first reading or the second reading. And it would all be in Viet. And that helped me practice my Viet a lot, especially because my mom was like, oh my God, my daughter's going to be the one reading this week. I have to make sure she does a good job, especially because I'm a teacher's kid. So I know all of the teachers in the church. So if I mess up, they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, Vilana's mom. How come your daughter can't read? And I'll be like, I can read. I just have a hard time. But she made me practice a lot. And that helps my reading a lot. It also helps that I just like reading in general. English YA novels, not so much Viet because I don't understand what's in the books. But my reading is still pretty good. My spelling, however atrocious absolutely horrid yeah i feel like uh my reading is at like an elementary school level my writing is probably on par to that as well but my speaking i think is pretty good and my knowledge and that comes from the fact that like i speak most of it in my household but also like growing up like my mom would be always playing vietnamese like music or shows and stuff in the background and i would get to like know a lot of the vocab Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty good at that. See, in my house, we didn't really play Vietnamese music, but we do converse in Viet. So my speaking skills, I wouldn't say they're amazing, but it's definitely enough to get by. Like if you leave me stranded in Vietnam, I would at least be able to know 
how to get to where I'm supposed to go. So I can hold a basic conversation. Once you add in the really, really hard terms, that's when I back out. Can you joke in Viet? I do the thing where I play the good Asian daughter and I stay silent and laugh where when I'm supposed to. I'm kind of the opposite. I feel like I joke a lot with my family in Viet. But I'm, I'm not at the level where I can joke about like word puns and, and stuff. You know what I mean? I wish I could be at that level advance my be it more to be a true bilingual you know what does it mean to be a true bilingual do you get a badge of honor or something like how do you measure if you are truly bilingual or not i feel like when you're able to switch from like language one to language two like seamlessly you know i don't know because i speak in vietglish does that make me bilingual but i feel like that's most like Asian community who's born in Western countries, kids, you know? <laughs> They're just kind of like, uh. Oh my god, that reminds me of a story about Vietglish. I was on a date with this guy one time, and we were talking about something, but then he was telling me how he really liked cars. And then, for the life of me, he didn't say the word car, he would just give the car brand. And I, w- I wanted to say something about cars, but... I started the sentence and then I stopped talking. And then it was a good minute that passed by and he was like, are you okay? And I'm like, what's the, what's the name of the thing? It has a hood and there are seats inside and it has four wheels. What's that called? <laughs> and he had to tell me it was called a car because I couldn't remember it was called a car. In my head, all I was thinking was Saya because at home, <laughs> At home, when I speak to my parents, I don't say the word. There are specific words I don't say in English. I only say them in Viet. And car is one of those words. So when we're going out, I'll ask my parents, which sea are we taking? Not which car are we taking? So the moment I had to say it in public, I was very confused because I couldn't remember what the word was in English. Yeah, those are the worst moments for me when I'm like, I know this term in Viet, but I don't know what it is in English or vice versa. Or you'd have to say it in like like an accent or something. <laughs> like English in a Viet accent or like to attempt to like recall your memory. Way back in kindergarten when I learned all those basic words. I mean, would you ever put your kids in Viet school? I don't know if Viet school is going to be a thing by the time we have kids. That's the thing. Across the country, I've been seeing it more and more how people are fighting for language schools to stay open in Canada. However, since there's such a low enrollment rate, a lot of these programs are getting canceled. So I don't know if Viet school is going to be a thing if the enrollment rate is going to continuously decrease over the years. Like, I would love for my kids to go to Viet school on Saturdays because I want them to know Viet and I want them to know their culture and the language that they ideally I would like them to be able to speak to a certain degree I don't need them to be fluent or be able to be stranded in Vietnam and speak Viet forever like I don't need them to be crazy fluent but I would like them to at least understand what they're saying what their parents or their grandparents are saying, especially because my my grandma and my parents, to some degree, they don't understand mm-hmm. English. 
So I would like them to be able to communicate with them. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really important. Like, obviously, the speaking aspect to communicate with your family members, but I think more importantly, to keep like your roots. As much as we poke fun at Viet School, that's like our only connection to our roots outside of our family, you know? Especially because I know that Toronto has such a big Viet community. And I don't want to see it die out. Yeah, it'd be very unfortunate. Do you have any Viet friends outside of Viet school? I have a few. Not very many. Um, mm. The majority of my friends that are Viet outside of Viet school, they're half Viet. So you know how that region that was like half Chinese, half Viet in Vietnam? That's where their family's from. Yeah. I don't think I have any Viet friends outside of Viet school right now. Like, I did in elementary and high school, but right now I think I just have you guys. I mean, speaking of Vietnamese Chinese, I mean, we're fully Viet, but I think there's a lot of Vietnamese Chinese kids out there. It's funny because I have a friend. She can speak both Canto and Viet, and she doesn't look like she's purely Chi- she's purely Chinese or purely Viet. So sometimes when she goes out and then somebody will hit on her and say something in Canto, she'll be like, oh, I'm Viet. I don't understand you. But like she does understand him very, very well. And it's the same thing when somebody tries to hit her up in Viet. She's like, I'm Canto, can't talk. That's really interesting. Have you ever been hit on in Vietnamese? Yes. My university had a Vietnamese student studying VSA, Viet Student Association. Yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. So I went for one of the events, and one guy decided to hit me up in Viet. They were like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. um, I'm bad, something like that. And I was like, oh, cool. But like, he started getting really into my personal space, and I was like, how about I leave and never come back? So I never went yeah, back. Yeah, that's funny. That's why you don't go to those events. <laughs> but how else am I supposed to meet other Viet people? I don't think I've ever been hit in Viet. Except by that guy from church. Asi- aside from that incident. Other than that, no. I have had guys assume my ethnicity and say something in a completely different language. I've had guys try to hit me up in Chinese. Don't know if it's Canto or Mandarin because I don't speak either language, so I have no idea what he was saying to me. So I didn't respond. I've had a guy reach out to me in Thai. I don't think I look Thai. I understand getting Filipino. Yeah, I feel like you're you kind of look Filipino. I don't think you mm-hmm. necessarily look like true Viet. Yeah, if that makes sense. But I don't see Thai. Like I look at myself in the mirror. You wouldn't think I was Thai. If anything, no, I don't see Thai. I don't Filipino see is definitely like the next one you, the first thing you would think of when you look at me. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, for me, I've I've gotten Filipino when I was like in elementary school, and I think I was like a bit tanner then too. When I was like, fully blonde or mostly blonde, I've gotten a lot of Chinese, like Mando, especially at my workplace and in school, like on campus as well. Because on campus, there's a large like Chinese community. Uh, so sometimes I'd be just walking by and like people would come up and ask me something and then I'll just give them like like a deer in the headlights type of look like what are you talking about and they would just walk away and then at work too because there was a large Chinese clientele so 
Like, even my co-workers who were Chinese, they were just like, oh, I thought you were just Kanto and not Mando. And I was like, no, I'm Viet. But yeah, I don't think I look truly Viet either. I don't know. Maybe if you stopped dyeing your hair, you might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. If I, I feel like if I go back to black hair. Oh, well, I guess. Last thing to say about Viet school is, do you think we learned anything? Um, yes and no. Clearly, we didn't take away the the beautiful poems that we had to recite. Uh, neither did we take away the the lovely um, religious lessons <laughs> or the spellings. We didn't take away any of that. But we definitely take away, like, memories, you know? Like, <laughs> friendships. I learned the easiest way to piss off your teachers. <laughs> Do you remember in grade nine, that group of kids that just didn't come back from break and they went to the park and played basketball and the teacher actually ran out of the class. Oh, yeah, yeah, There were some, to go find some that. rowdy kids. I remember our classroom being like... We were the most hated class. Okay, oh, yeah. So here's the thing about Viet school. So you're, you're put in a class and you're stuck with that class forever. Like your classmates don't change. Mm-hmm. You're like classroom A, classroom B, and those two classrooms will move up in grade over the years, but they don't like, no students change, which is different from English school because every year the kids are switched around. So our class was probably like B, right? Yeah, we were class B. Class B or class two, whatever. We were the second class. And I remember every teacher who got us would dread their year with us. They'd be like, oh lord i have this class like it was to the point where my mom didn't even want to teach us because i remember in fifth grade which is the year that my mom teaches she's like i don't want to teach her class i don't want to teach bilan's class maybe i just won't teach this year so that was the year where she was like i'm not gonna teach wow so savage she's just like "Uh." (laughs) let's avoid it as a whole (laughs) how about i just don't teach these kids at all good plan good plan our class was absolutely horrible. We were always so loud. I, a lot of us were very stupid. We always knew how to rile up our teachers by A, not listening, B, have very horrible reading skills, or C, just annoy the hell out of them like no other. Yeah, there were definitely rowdy students in there. Like the kids who you know, their parents forced them to be here. They do not care. Mm-hmm. I, I swear there was this one kid who bought like a knife to school or something. What? You don't remember this? I don't remember that. I don't remember I that. I remember this. There was this like super weird kid who was, I don't know who he hung out with, but I swear this one time he bought like a weapon to school. I think it was like a, a knife or something. And then they didn't know what to do. So then they had to call like security, which ended up calling like police or something. Where was I? I don't remember any of this. What? Oh my, I'm going to write in the group chat. Someone has to remember this story. I'm not making this shit up. Okay, but like what happened after the police came? Like did they find the kid? Like did he have to go home? Did he go to juvie? Like what happened? I think they just like escorted him out and then like I don't think we saw him again or something. Well, if we never saw him again, of course I wouldn't remember him. (laughs) You're like, I delete people out of my brain. Okay, you think my brain is like big enough to remember people from my past life? No. Elementary school is how many years ago that takes up two digits. That's too much for my goldfish brain to handle. Yeah, it was a long time. Well, Viet school was a time. 
we learned the horrible ways to spell and how to put accents on the wrong way. Christmas dances were an interesting time. It was lovely. However, that is all the time that we have for today. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Make sure to follow us on our Instagram at ibeamthinking.podcast. Leave a comment, rating, or review on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or whichever platform you're listening on. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.